Hi everyone, welcome to Talks in Class. I'm Jenna. Thank you for joining me today and spending some time reminiscing. <laughs> it is December, officially December. We are still in Connecticut, so we'll be here until after Christmas and then we will make the drive out to California, to LA. And earlier this week, I actually sat down and I mapped out our entire plan for the drive. I'm a little type A, so I need to have a plan and I like to have a spreadsheet. <laughs> so I mapped it all out and I put it on a spreadsheet so we know how long it'll take us to drive to each stop. And I actually booked hotels for us for the first three nights on the road, which is exciting. I feel like I accomplished something major because you know I have to do all the research and make sure I know where we're staying, where we're going. So we don't have a ton of time to actually make the trip because my husband has to get there to, for work, but we are going to make a couple of stops where we'll spend at least, you know, a day or two, and then the rest of the stops will be mostly for sleeping. There's a couple of things that I want to see, but we're kind of doing it not super fast, but on the faster side. I used to do long distance, like multiple state distance drives often because I went to college in a different state, so I would drive home on breaks but it's been a while. I do remember a lot of long distance drives that felt pretty grueling. <laughs> so I'm not looking forward to that, but I do think that driving across the entire country, I mean, we're going from Connecticut to Southern California. That's a pretty cool experience. And just being able to see so many different places, even if it's just for one night or like a short stop is pretty cool. So that's been my project this week. As always, I will start this episode with my what good happened and this is kind of a random one but it truly put me in the best mood so the other day my husband and i were both working from home and we finished work early so we decided to run to the mall really quickly just to get a couple of christmas presents and you guys know how i feel about a mall i love a mall any mall literally i don't even care if it has no good stores i don't care just being in the mall there's something <laughs> that i just love about it so we went into a bunch of stores we were just kind of like browsing around and we went into Hollister which I actually do shop at sometimes unironically but not only did they have an entire wall of color coordinated velour tracksuits but they had these baby doll lightweight cable knit sweaters you guys remember these if you lived through 2005 to 2008 and you were at all a Hollister Abercrombie American Eagle girly you probably had one of these it's like the aggressive empire waist that where it's like tight across the top and then loose on the bottom like they almost looked like maternity clothes I had one that was navy I think it was from Abercrombie I remember it had a deep v-neck which I loved because it would easily show the lace cami that I wore under it. But anyway, when I saw these sweaters in Hollister, I literally had a like a full body reaction. I I stopped and my eyes got wide and I was like, oh my God, I didn't know how to react. It was just something that of all the things, of all the trends, I did not expect it to come back. But that's a tangent. That's not my actual good, what good happened. My what good happened was being in the mall made me feel very comforted and happy because there are things that have never changed. <laughs> we went into Zoomies and they were literally playing like 2000s emo music and I was so happy. And we went into Spencer's because I just wanted to go into Spencer's that had been so long. And 
it's exactly the same, you know? And it just warms my heart that in 2022, almost 2023, you can still go to a mall and go into Spencer's and buy like an inappropriate graphic t-shirt that you will get sent home from school for wearing. It makes me happy. (laughs) This week, I want to expand on something that I touched on briefly in last week's episode, which is early social media and particularly Facebook and really just the evolution of social media that my generation has lived through. Because much like a lot of things related to tech and especially the internet, the evolution of social media I think had a huge impact on my generation's teen and early adult years. And I think it's one of the big things that really made our college experiences and maybe high school if you're a little younger, really different from the generations before and after us. But before we get into that, I do want to give a very special shout out to my clothing rental service, the Jenna Barclay Stylebox, because today, literally today, the day I'm recording this, is the three-month anniversary of when I launched this service. And this is probably my favorite, or at least one of my top favorite projects that I've ever done to date. It's something that I obviously really love. I love clothes. It's fun for me, but I love it because it's something that you guys can actually use in your day-to-day life. Because a lot of the stuff that I talk about, you know, I talk about fashion trends, I talk about trend cycles, I talk about how fast they move and how they cycle around. They lead to me having these conversations with so many women who just feel kind of lost when it comes to fashion now that we're adults, which makes sense. You know, as we get older, our priorities change. It's hard to keep up with fashion trends when you also have children and a demanding job and a home and family obligations. But a lot of people that I talk to say that they just don't know what to wear anymore, whether that's because they don't know what looks good on them, they don't know what's in style, they don't know how to wear what's in style in a way, a way that feels flattering and appropriate and comfortable for them, especially because our bodies also change as we get older. So that is one of my favorite things about the Style Box is that it offers a way for us to experiment with things without having to go out and buy a bunch of new clothes. So whether that means experimenting with different cuts and styles and fabrics to figure out what your personal style is and then using that information to build your wardrobe or using rental as a way to just supplement and add a trendy item here and there without the commitment of having to buy it. I just think it's so useful and I'm so excited and happy to see people using it in whatever way benefits them. So if you would like to give it a try, your first month is always free and you always get unlimited swaps, which means you can rotate out items as often as you like. There's no limits to how many boxes you can get per month. So to try it out, you can just head to jennabarclaystylebox.com and just click get started. The first month will automatically be free. Enjoy. So let's talk about social media, shall we? (laughs) I think at first thought, it may not always seem like that much has changed in the past 10 or even 15-ish years. I mean, the platforms are kind of still the same, right? We have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have YouTube. There are new ones too, but the standard ones that most people are on are there. But I think the way that we interact with social media and the way that we use it in our everyday lives is really 
a world different now from when I first started using social media, which was really at the end of high school or early college. And I have a lot to say about this. When I was outlining this, I initially wanted to get into Instagram and all this stuff. But for this episode, I'm going to focus on early social media. So primarily, we're going to talk about MySpace and early Facebook. So we're hanging out in the mid into kind of late 2000s only. So let's go way back (laughs) to when I was in high school in the early to mid 2000s. I graduated in 2005. When I was in high school, social media was not really a thing. We had AOL Instant Messenger where we posted extremely cringy status updates that were mostly song lyrics in hot pink Comic Sans font or passive-aggressive sort of digs or inside jokes. But that was really the extent of it. There was a profile where you would put more song lyrics or maybe like your crush's birthday or your boyfriend's name. And if you were really, really on top of things, you maybe had a Zanga or a live journal. I personally never used either of those things and thank God I didn't because I have some of my old journals. I found them at my mom's paper journals. And if they were published on the internet, at any time, past or present, I would die. Like I would literally have to crawl (laughs) into a hole and just let the world end around me because they are absolutely horrifying. But towards the end of my high school years, again, I graduated in 2005, we all discovered MySpace. And this was a huge deal. I still remember where I was when I found out about MySpace. I can literally picture standing in my bedroom and my best friend was sitting at my desk in my room at the computer and and she told me about MySpace. This is a vivid memory. It was kind of mind-blowing because it was different and just had more to offer than what we had used before. I mean, not even talking about the fact that we were legit learning to code so that we could add like a purple glitter stars background, which is what I had, to our MySpace profiles. But just the fact that we could build this whole persona now via this profile and connect with people using that created persona that we were projecting out on this platform that was so much different than going in a chat room and asking someone ASL and then creating it. It was something that people could see, that they could kind of interact with. And we were interacting with people that we did know and also people that we didn't know in the same place using that same created persona. So it couldn't be like when we went into a chat room and we said we were a 19-year-old in Orlando, which is what I always said, Orlando because the Backstreet Boys. It had to be at least somewhat realistic. And this was the early days of kind of tailoring what you chose to put out there that was your real life, but a curated version in order to project the image that you wanted. MySpace also gave us this new kind of social currency. You know, we were looking at how many friends people had. We noticed how many people had you in their top eight. The top <laughs> the top eight was such a huge deal. And honestly, looking back, like the top eight was savage. We should have known better. It seems very obvious now as an adult looking back at that, that the top eight was just asking for drama. Like I think it it was it had to have been created just to create 
drama, right? But we fell for that. We fell for that hook, line, and sinker, and we were always rearranging our top eight. But the best thing about MySpace, hands down, not the backgrounds, not the glitter backgrounds that we had to learn how to code, it was the song that you could have on your profile. I feel like my friends and I literally used that song to like signify our identities. <laughs> I think I usually had an emo band song. The more emo, the better. It was a lot of dashboard confessional around that time. A lot of music that I got from hanging out in Hollister and looking at the songs that were playing on the little screen or songs that were on MTV reality shows when they would have the little tracker along the bottom. That was my go-to in the MySpace days. But I distinctly remember I had this friend in high school and in high school she was very boho. Her whole persona in high school was kind of like hippie-ish. And I remember in 2006 when she left for college, she suddenly put a rap song on her MySpace profile and I literally remember calling her and being like oh my god who are you like you're a totally different person college changed you (laughs) all because of the song that she put on her myspace profile and I know a lot of people really did stay true to myspace for a long time but personally my myspace face was very brief it was probably early-ish 2005 to late 2006 and and that was it Because for my age group, meaning people who were in college before 2006, Facebook was the place to be. Because prior to 2006, you needed that EDU email address in order to access Facebook. And it became really important to be on Facebook if you were in college. That was signifying our identity in a way not just by what we were putting on our on our social media profiles, not just by the information we were putting out there, but by the actual social media platforms that we were on, that we were using in general. So if you were on Facebook, obviously in those days it meant that you were in college and you were connecting with other college students. They automatically had something in common with you because you were all college students probably around the same age. I mentioned this last week, but I think it's hilarious to think back to the early days of Facebook because it was very primitive. I mean, it was so, so basic. And also it was just piled full of personal information. (laughs) Like every personal detail we just put onto our Facebook, which dorm you lived in, your literal class schedule. Like we literally listed where we would be at every single time of the day on our Facebook profile. It was very easy to find us if you needed to find us. I mean, we would have things, of course, like our hometown and our birthday and our interests and then pictures, of course. But it was different because it was a closed network. That was the point. So we didn't have this fear around putting all of our personal information out there the way that we might today. It was all just very simple and innocent and localized. That was the thing. We weren't connecting with people that we didn't know, or at least people that we hadn't met in real life at some point. I mean, obviously, we all collected random Facebook friends at every party and every single class, every semester and every dorm and apartment that we lived in. And, you know, we maybe spoke to them once and now we've been Facebook friends since 2005. But they weren't strangers. Now... I feel like so many of us interact with or consume content from or at least follow probably just as many strangers 
as we do people that we actually know in real life. It's a huge, huge difference. And the evolution of social media going from these localized kind of community focused networking sites really is what they were to these huge global sites with massive user bases and of course the focus on advertising because these companies want to make money has given rise to a lot of brand presence on social media a lot of celebrities and of course influencers which we feel like we know but we don't actually know in real life i mean essentially they are strangers even if they're sharing their lives with us it's such a different landscape now like we're consuming so much content and it's all either designed to entertain us or to sell us something or sometimes both versus in these early days it really existed to connect people and that's how we used it we used it just to communicate amongst each other sometimes in a very public way that probably should have been done a little bit more privately but it was just there to give humans a way to connect with other humans who shared some sort of similarities to them if you were on myspace it might have been music that was the shared interest if you were on facebook it was college now it's just universal it's a universal experience that we're all experiencing very differently because these algorithms exist, they're curating very different experiences for all of us, even if we're on the same platform. In those days, we were all on different little platforms depending on who we were and what we were into and how old we are, but we were having the same experiences pretty much on all of those platforms. They didn't have these sophisticated algorithms and there really wasn't that much to these platforms at all. I mean, we probably could have accomplished all of these things just via text, but it just made our communication, our interpersonal communication easier. So I dug through my old Facebook because I am one of the OGs that has had the same Facebook profile since I joined in 2005. And it's all still there, which is terrifying. Go scrub your Facebook if you haven't. It's all still there. And I was really thinking about how we actually used to use Facebook in the early days. And I crafted a list of the main features that my friends and I used on a daily basis in college. First is the wall. Now, the wall was just your profile, and this was where you could write messages to your friends. But like writing on a literal wall, they were entirely, extremely public. (laughs) This did not stop us, however, from writing extremely personal things on each other's walls that were available to the public, at least within our network. We made full weekend plans via wall messages, like we'd be writing on someone's wall, okay, I'll pick you up at your dorm at 3 p.m. on Friday and we'll drive to this other university for the game on Saturday and we'll stay in this dorm with this person first and last name and go to this party at this address at this time. This was all on a, a essentially a public forum. Number two is the newsfeed, and the newsfeed didn't start until 2006. So when I first got on Facebook, the newsfeed didn't exist. If we wanted to find out what someone was doing, let's say I wanted to know what my roommate's friend who I met at that one party two weeks ago was up to, I, first of all, I had to remember her name, then I had to go to Facebook and look for her profile and then go through her stuff. But when the newsfeed was introduced, 
it was like everything was just presented to us. It took out that step of having to search for someone to get that information and instead just gave us a constant feed of what people were doing. And we were so freaked out by this. I actually found a Facebook status from myself from 2006 that I wrote on Facebook. And I said, Jenna is officially afraid of Facebook and its stalking capabilities and the madness. So dramatic. But I do remember there always being a big backlash whenever Facebook would make a big change. And there were a lot of big changes, obviously, in those early days. But that was the first one that I remember people really freaking out over. And I think that was truly the first time that we thought, hmm, maybe we should be a little bit more cautious about what we were posting here. Just a little. (laughs) I mean, we probably should have been more cautious. But it was the first time that it came to our minds that people were seeing this that were not the people that we intended to see it. Number three is photo albums with tagging. The tagging is very important (laughs) and the tagging was also very dangerous because people would tag you in everything. Like even if you were in the very background of a picture, had no idea the picture was being taken and you were like half taking a bite of something, they would tag you. (laughs) We would spend literally hours every Saturday morning, Friday morning, uploading like 60 pictures from our little digital cameras from the night before and captioning every single photo individually, something stupid like random pick, haha, <laughs> and then tagging every single person in the album. These albums also had to have a title, every single one, even though some of them were literally just pictures of nothing. (laughs) And the album titles couldn't be just a descriptive title. It couldn't just say Friday Night because you probably had 10 albums of different Friday Nights. It had to be something creative or what we thought was creative. It was usually a song lyric or like a quote that we made into an album title. Something like the nights I'll never remember with the friends I'll never forget. We also had absolutely no discretion in the photos that we would post. I'm telling you, albums full of nothing. Blurry pictures in basements, someone, someone's finger in front of the lens. We posted all of them. Sometimes there would be five photos of the exact same thing that were also nothing. And we would post them, caption them, and tag people in them. Number four is the poke. The poke is still one of the most bizarre functions of social media I've ever encountered. And there's a lot of weird stuff on social media, so I feel like that's saying a lot. The poke was really just a notification that said, so-and-so poked you. And then you had the option to poke back or not. But it didn't really do anything. And it would also never really end. Like there was no end goal in the poking. You could just really poke back and forth forever until one of you decided to stop. I'm not really sure when they got rid of the poking, but I feel like even in those days, we all knew it was weird. And if someone poked you, they were weird. Number five, relationship statuses. So 
important because if you went to college in the mid 2000s, you understand that it was not official until it was Facebook official. You could also add a name to the relationship status. I don't know if this is still a thing, but you could add a name, but you had to get approval from the person that you were adding, obviously, because you were saying that they were in a relationship with you. But we would all try to be clever and be like, Jenna is in a relationship with Justin Timberlake. but it didn't work because obviously we did not know Justin Timberlake and Justin Timberlake was not going to approve the relationship status with some random some random college freshman. The best relationship status obviously was it's complicated and you could be it's complicated with a person like you could add a name to your it's complicated status which is so weird to me because I feel like Essentially, that was just putting your situationship like on public display. <laughs> like I'm in a situationship with this person and, and not only am I in a situationship with them, but I'm going to tag them so you can easily go stalk their profile. The relationship status, come to think about it, made it very easy to stalk. Much harder now where you have to like dig through someone's Instagram and try to find a tagged photo and then go to their profile. No, no, no. We literally just linked, linked their name, linked their profile right under the it's complicated status. Number six, speaking of statuses, status updates, but not just status updates, status updates that started with the is, because in the early days of status updates, the is was default and we literally treated them like status updates, like literally what we were doing in that moment. They would be like, Jenna is in class, so bored. Jenna is so hungry. Jenna is sick, sad face. Jenna is hungover. (laughs) Who wants to read that? I don't know. Facebook dropped the is at some point along the line, but I feel like for those of us who were used to it, we just kept it going on our own for a long time. I was looking through some of my old status updates and they didn't all start with the is, which tells me that it wasn't default by that time. But I would say I still added the is in probably like 75% of them. And they literally were just a play by play of what I was doing. Number seven is the like button or rather the absence of the like button. This is super important and I think is kind of a good summary for the difference between how we interacted with Facebook and kind of how it was used and what it was for versus social media today. Because in those days, and really this was probably the majority of the time that I was really active on Facebook, we didn't have the like button. I think the like button was actually not introduced until the late 2000s, which is crazy because I graduated from college in 2010. So for the the majority of the time that I was active on Facebook, there was no way to provide instant feedback to the content that people were posting. It, It wasn't feedback driven though. That wasn't the point. The point was to tell your friends what you were up to. It wasn't to create a viral meme or a viral post that people would would like. We had no way to see what people thought about it, which meant that we had no incentive to go back and check what people's reactions were. You just posted your, you know, 60 photos from the bar the night before that were all blurry and sent it out into the Facebook universe and your friends saw it and people could comment, 
But that was it. And it was only your friends commenting. It was completely different. There was no value tied to our posts. And of course, now Facebook and every social media platform functions completely differently. And we have a whole bunch of other new social media platforms that also function differently. So next week, I think I'm going to have to keep this going and talk about early Instagram and kind of take a look at how Instagram has evolved, but really the aesthetics of Instagram has evolved and how the function More importantly, I think the look of Instagram has changed so much since the beginning. And I think it kind of mirrors overall trends that we have seen. So maybe we'll discuss that next week. But for now, I will leave you with this as my funny slash embarrassing story of the week. This is a Facebook post from me that I wrote on March 28th, which is my birthday, 2007. (laughs) I wrote... Jenna is celebrating my birthday with her favorites and a bottle of tequila. (laughs) Until next week, thank you so much for joining me on this journey, this journey through time. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. That means so much to me. Rate, review, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great, wonderful week. I'll see you next time.